Absolutely. So my name is Francisco Sanchez, best known as Pancho. Um, currently, I serve as a community schools K-5 manager, overseeing our six amazing uh, community schools that go from kindergarten to fifth grade. I also oversee um, teacher recruitment, retention, and training, as well as policy and advocacy, um, with some support in some other areas. But that's basically the gist of it. Um, I've been with community schools since, I think, 2017. Started my journey as a coordinator, um, moved my way up, and now I'm in this manager role, so happy to be here. Nice. Um, can you walk us through your educational journey uh, as a K-12 student? Uh, what were or what are some of the things that stand out to you, uh, whether they be positive or negative, about your experience as a student? Absolutely. So um, I was born and raised here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, started K-5 with MPS. I, guess, I, I loved it, right? Um, having been in a bilingual classroom um, and Spanish being my native language, it really made it so that learning came naturally. Um, I was learning English as I was learning all the basics of reading, math, uh, social studies, all of those other things that came with it, uh, with learning. Um, but I started K-5 and all the way up to fifth grade, I was in MPS. I was a proud product of Allen Field Elementary. Um, and like I said, I was in the bilingual program. So if I had to talk about the positives, I'm um, having a space that honored my identity and honored my language, especially specifically my native language, um, is definitely a positive. I was fortunate enough, right, to be in gifted and talented. So I was in spaces where my gifts and my abilities were uh, recognized and celebrated and really created spaces for me to flourish and grow. So speaking positively, like you could check all of those boxes right there. After that, I transitioned into private education. My parents transitioned me into a private school. There I was able to receive education I think my other peers didn't have access to, which of course was, was a positive to me. But I think that was at the cost of the ability for me to express myself or feel like I belonged in a cultural way. So I did go to a predominantly white high school. And there, like, although, again, the, the content was great, the learning experiences were great, the networks were great, I did not feel like me as an individual was validated to the point where I could have been. So when you talk about positives, I guess, like, the positives were, like, I feel like I always had access to a high quality education. I feel like I always had access to um, spaces where education came first and my, my personal learning and my personal growth was at the forefront. But as you started moving down the line, it felt like high, high quality learning came to the expense of my cultural identity. Not necessarily call it audible, but um, I'm gonna move this question up a little bit uh, just because of something that you said in your first response. Uh, so. Uh, cultural relevance is one of the like core pillars of the Milwaukee Community Schools Partnership. And um, you just shared, you know, kind of like the pros and cons of, of, of your experience as a, a K-12 student starting off in uh, Milwaukee Public Schools. Uh, you were kind of hitting that maybe that cultural experience that you were getting, um, you know, going to school with, you know, folks that look like you that kind of come from the same background as yourself. Uh, but then, you know, uh, having the opportunity to go to Marquette High, which was, uh, you know, a bit different. Uh, I guess I want to ask if, you know, without going too far into it or too into detail, can you talk about uh, maybe some of the cultural shock that you experienced while you were a student at Marquette um, and how that may have 
you know, tie back into uh, how you show up in your role um, or maybe some of the motivation that, you know, made you want to become a community school coordinator? Yeah, absolutely. So like I shared, like starting out education, I went to, I was in the bilingual program. So my classrooms were made up of children who spoke the same language as me that had similar uh, uh, upbringings as me, lived in the same neighborhood as me. So I was always around students that were like me. In middle school, I went to a school where all of the individuals there were, were Latino. Um, so we all, again, our native language was Spanish. Our families all knew each other. And then coming into Market High School, which is a predominantly white school, right? Specifically at that time, um, it was a huge culture shock, right? We came from blue collar homes where uh, mom and pops woke up um, and were doing day-to-day labor, right? To schools where some of my colleagues, their parents were CEOs and presidents of, of companies, right? So like right off the bat, you feel like you don't belong because you don't have access to the things that they have access to, um, the the clothing, the cars that they drove, right? I'm over here catching the bus to, to get from school to, to upward bound while some of them are getting picked up in Jaguars or driving Jaguars, right? So that like in a physical form was like very obvious and made you kind of like feel out of the way. But then also the idea of like you being a minority in a predominantly white space, somehow like there's this this weird idea that like you are the champion or the the master of all things cultural when it comes to that space, right? So we know we see that like in movies a lot or we see that in shows a lot where it's like, can somebody talk about Mexico? And boom, everybody turns around, right? And is staring at you and it's like, Pacho, tell us about Mexico. And all of a sudden I'm like the champion of that knowledge, right? Or I know like a lot of our, our students feel that way when they, they get to the university level and all of a sudden we start talking about black history or we start talking about like slavery or like, you know, like the the revolutions in, in all these Latin American countries, right? And all of a sudden like all eyes are on you. Um, without you necessarily having access to that information firsthand, right? Or having been able to fully learn that story, and now you're basically telling that story. So I guess like the major culture shock was was that where like my, in many spaces, my culture was something that you felt shame for, right? Because you were the different, but then in other spaces, it's like that different put you uh, under the spotlight and put you in a space where like you had to de- defend yourself and show how Mexican you were, right? Or show how much history and knowledge and context you had on this topic, even without the opportunity to really learn it, expand it and grow it. Pretty heavy, I know, um, the lingering effects of like tokenism in the classroom and, you know, just how dangerous that can be, uh, you know, educating young people. Uh, I know that's, yeah, like it's a real thing. And I think, you know, uh, as community schools, that is uh, one of the, you know, Again, core functions of what we what we do is like, you know, educate not only our young people, but our educators as well around like cultural relevant practices. Um, You know, uh, representation is not always uh, as obtainable as we would like it to be. Obviously, you know, I kind of want to touch on your uh, initiative level strategy that you lead when it comes to like teacher uh, training uh, and retention. And, you know, one, can you share like why that's important uh, to like just the overall student experience and just like how school functions, um, but also like what does, you know, some of that that training look like for educators? What is out there? What have you been able to, uh, you know, offer teachers? Absolutely. So um, why? Right. Like what's the what's the why? Because every child deserves to have access to a educator who is fully certified, fully capable of teaching them to the best of their abilities. Um, Every child deserves to be in a space where 
the teacher is able to plan for them, develop lessons that, that help nurture their minds. Um, that's why we're doing this, right? Because we're noticing that, yeah, there are a lot of vacancies and there's a lack of respect for the profession. Um, so we realize that in order for us to have schools, we need teachers, right? Um, the school is not just made up of a bunch of children in a room with an adult. It's made up of an adult who's there and able to educate these children and these children are able to learn. So we realize that in order for that to happen, we need high quali highly qualified individuals in front of our children. So we had the opportunity through the Department of Education to receive the um, Community Schools Full Service Implementation Grant. I think that's not what it's called. If not, then please forgive me. Um, but what we want to do through this is make sure that not only are we finding um, candidates to, to fill these spots at schools, right, but that those candidates are high quality, but also that we're providing supports to our current teachers who are doing everything that they can to become better individuals in their trade. Um, so through that, again, we're working with different um, university level uh, strategies, initiatives and programs to find candidates and bring them to Milwaukee and put them in front of our children. We're also working with the staff that we currently have to receive, um, I, don't, I don't like to use professional development because professional development has somehow developed into a negative word. It's a bad word um, when really professional development should be how you're growing in your trade, right? Additional learning opportunities. Um, and what we've done there is we've created different cohorts where staff members can come together, um, learn with other staff, not just from their school, but from across Milwaukee and across all 16 of our community schools and develop skills around culturally cultural competency, um, anti-racist training, right? We've done pieces on social emotional learning. We've done pieces on um, perfecting your trade and finding those things that you need to work on, right? Um, one of the big things that we also talk about is how we address the inequities in the system, in our schools, and in our personal practice. And to us, that's really huge because I think a lot of times when we have a problem, we tend to point up, right, and say, like, that's where the problem is, right? But we fail to recognize how the spaces um, and the places where we operate tend to, like, tug the boat with it, right? Um, or how we in our personal practice tend to continue those those same um, malicious practices, right, that we're saying are affecting our children. So a lot of it is not to teach you how to be a better educator, but help you reflect and develop into a better educator. There's no way that we can tell you, like, this is the answer to becoming the best teacher. It's us helping you, helping guide you, helping probe, helping you uh, uh, reflect and digest your reality to then produce better individuals, right? And we know that by, through better being better individuals, you become a better individual in your trade. No, I like that because it's, it's definitely all connected. So, uh, Pancho, the next question that I have for you is um, I'm, I'm pulling this from, you know, one of the practices that we do, um, our community conversations, uh, which is our, you know, community engaged assessment, uh, essentially. Uh, and so one of the like the first questions that we asked during that process is uh, if you can create the perfect or the ideal school, uh, what would it be like? Well, how would you describe what uh, what that school and what that school community uh, looks like and offers. Absolutely. So if I could develop the perfect school, it'd be a school where students feel like they belong, where families feel like they have the power to engage and advocate for themselves, where educators feel that the work that they do is leading to a bigger cause, right? A space where administrators in the system is interested in ensuring that every child is successful. Now, that's not necessarily the answer that, that we need, right? Because that's not a specific, 
but basically a space where children are happy to learn and families are happy to send their kids there. That could look many, many different ways. One of the biggest issues that we see is a lot of times students feel like they're in schools where they don't they don't feel like they belong or they're just being sent there. Right. Or families have no access to communication um, where staff members feel like this is my this is my nine to five. And after this, I clock out and I could and then I could finally start living. Right. Or a, a system where we feel like we have to do this because we have to do this without the real purpose behind it. So if I could create the perfect school, it's, uh, I guess, to, to reflect on our, our model. Right. A space where students, families, the surrounding community um, all come together to make sure that every child is successful, not just academically, but social and emotionally, culturally, um, and really developing leaders that will think beyond the book and really care about their community. Oh, that's, that's dope. Yeah, and I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think the, the part that stood out to me is just like, I guess, not separating uh, your worlds. I think we, you know, a lot of times we do do that, like, oh, it's 3.30, you know, like, let me kind of yeah. put a totally different hat on. Let me loosen this tie and all yeah. that I can be myself, yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, and that's, it's almost like a, it's a hard to hard to describe, you know, what that would feel like if uh, if folks didn't separate the two and did understand that, you know, their contributions that they were making, you know, from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., you know, it's connected to how they show up at five o'clock. You know, is that, is, does that look like mentoring? Does that look like coaching? Is it running the after school club? Right. Um, but at the end of the day, it's always, you know, like engagement and enrichment. Uh, so I think that's very powerful uh, response. Um, you know, so I, I, you know, I did ask, uh, you know, kind of about your experience as a student, um, kind of asked about, you know, your ideal school. Um, but I, I kind of want to back up a little bit and just ask you to share uh, your connection to uh, the Milwaukee com- or the community schools model in general. Uh, I guess, like, you know, what is your community schools origin story? Absolutely. So that's, it's interesting because it's a, a bunch of trials of fortune and misfortune, depending on who you are and how you look at it. Right. Um, so when I was in college, I was working, um, doing ABA therapy with children who were identified to be on the spectrum. So it was a lot of like at home therapies, working with families to build routines to support their child who, um, was somewhere on the, on the autism spectrum. And a lot of that is stuff that I never imagined growing up. I was not a huge fan of school and like teaching routines and building routines. I was a, a wild child, right? Um, I kind of just did as I had to, to, to make sure I was getting by, but I really found like a passion in that work. Through a um, random misfortune, the company was sold, and basically I had the option to move to the, per- the the company who had purchased us or find employment elsewhere, and it was just very inconvenient me for, although my heart was in the work, it was very inconvenient me for me to continue working in that space because of that change. And an opportunity came across me where um my sister-in-law was working at a school and she said, we need paraprofessionals. Now I came into the space, right? I applied, I got hired. Um, that's a totally different story in itself that hopefully one day I get to share, right? But as I'm hired as a paraprofessional, I get to Allenfield Elementary. So that's my childhood school. I'm now placed there as a paraprofessional to work with children's in a um, MRP unit. And I loved it, right? Like being able to work with students and help them meet their goals to help them learn um, I'm an uncle, right? Um, I have 16 nieces and nephews and counting, right? I'll say that, right? So I got a little classroom of my own every time we have a Thanksgiving or Christmas and just being able to do that and like 
help children learn was something that was coming natural to me. So I was there as a paraprofessional. I was supporting in the classroom. Um, and at that point, the principal at Allen Field and the assistant principal, they saw something in me that maybe I didn't see. And they asked me to consider becoming a teacher. Um, they helped me. They guided me through the process. And although in a very unconventional way, right, um, maybe not the ideal way for many, I ended up becoming a classroom, not a classroom teacher, my apologies, a special education teacher supporting third and fourth grade bilingual special education students. So I became a teacher in a very unconventional way, but I felt that the work that I was doing there was extremely meaningful. Like I was connecting with children, I was connecting with their families, whether it was to meet their IEP goals or to meet their behavioral goals, um, but I was really able to make those connections and see children learning in a natural and organic way. And it wasn't just like, again, it wasn't just like my nine to five or I'm sorry, not even nine to five, right? School started at 7.30, right? 7.30 to 3.30, um, where like I was just coming in for the sake of coming in. Like I genuinely had a passion for coming in and working with these students. After a couple of years, I realized like I want to continue this, but there has to be more, right? I could see the, the growths in the students, but then I felt like as, as they were growing and as every teacher has to, right, as you're passing them on to the next person, you begin to wonder like what's next for them, right? Like how can I continue to support? And a lot of that is out of our hands. And that's when community schools kind of fell from the sky, right? And I, and I saw the opportunity um, and I applied um, and I was hired, right? So that's when I became the community school coordinator at South Division High School. And there I was able to really bridge the gap that I saw between like what's happening in the classroom and what is needed for success. And I just success in terms of like, are we producing young lawyers, right? Are we producing young doctors? But like, what is necessary for me to succeed in in school, at home? And even if that means like basic needs, right? Like connecting me to stable housing or connecting me to resources to address um, inequities in, in these areas. Um, that's where I really felt like a lot of my work was. So South Division, we're able to analyze a lot of systems and develop a lot of strategies to really make sure that we're moving the school forward and, and not just the students, but the staff and the families were really able to see what success could look like and feel like they belong and feel like we were really growing and, and shaping um, students to become better individuals and, and to really ha have a system that was succeeding. And then from there, um, as again, uh, trial of fortunes and misfortunes, I had the opportunity to apply to become a community schools manager and totally switched it up and jumped into K-5. Um, and now I'm proud to be in this space to, that I, I am today. You know, and I've gotten a chance to, uh, you know, ask this question to a couple of different people. But uh, I think the, the one consistent thread is like, I guess, gravitated towards the community schools model uh, seems to be like not it's not coincidence. Right. Like something that um, has happened in their, you know, their upbringing or something that stood out from their childhood, their student experience. Something, you know, has led them to to really, really want to be like a catalyst of uh, for change uh, in our education walls or within our education walls. Um, you know, and I would say yours is, is, is no different. From, so, I, you know, I definitely appreciate you for sharing. Um, the next question that I have is, you know, what does leadership mean? and uh, look like to you, um, and if you can describe your understanding of uh, the concept of shared leadership, knowing that that is one of uh, the community school's pillars uh, here in Milwaukee. Absolutely. So I'll start with the definition of shared leadership for me, right? 
Um, shared leadership is not just like allowing individuals to voice their concerns, but it's to genuinely listen to what they're saying and provide them an avenue to be part of the change. So it's not just like at the end of the day, who gets to put their stamp of approval. It's who has the opportunity to be a part of the change that comes after that approval or after that stamp has been placed. So it's how are we creating not just spots at the table, but more tables. How we're ensuring that like not just the right people are at the table, but like people have the opportunity to show why they're the right people at the table. It's us having uh, the, the ability to, to create greater access, not just to the decisions, but the information that needs to be shared for individuals to know what we're talking about. Um, and again, the key part for me is like access to be able to be part of that change. I think a lot of times as we're talking about, um, you know, shared leadership, you think of like who's who's at the front of the line, right, guiding the, the route or, or leading the way. Um, but a lot of times we don't realize that the same people that help us pick the path are the ones that are walking it with us. So how do we create avenues for everybody to be part of that journey? So to me, shared leadership is that having the having a system where everybody has access, opportunity um, and power to create change. And now when you talk about shared leadership, what does it look like? Like that's having, again, spaces of learning um, before we make decisions, having spaces of after decision is made of us to re-engage the individuals that were part of that journey. It's us being able to acknowledge that like not one person and not one system has the right answer, that it's in all of us. Um, what, what's that one saying where it's like, we might not have everything we need now, but we have everybody Everybody here has the tools needed to get to where we need to go. Something like that. Don't quote me on that. Um, you might have to Google that quote. Um, but yeah, so there, there's pieces like that. Um, really understanding that no one individual is the answer, but collectively we can produce results. Describe your understanding of shared leadership that you kind of you kind of touched on that one a little bit. Um, I think maybe the first part was, you know, what is what does leadership look or uh, look like to you? Absolutely. So leadership. It's not just trying to guide the ship, but acknowledging when you don't know what's happening to the ship, right? It's, uh, you're as much of a captain as, mu as you are a, a rower, um, to use a metaphor of a boat, right? It's you saying, like, yes, this is where I imagine us going. And it's also you saying, like, I don't know why we're, we're derailed. Um, it's being powerful and vulnerable at the same time. Um, it's accepting the defeats the same way you celebrate the victories it's doing all of that in community in order for a good leader to thrive like the the village needs to be happy and needs to be successful so we I, whenever i think about leadership i don't think of like how do i make myself look better it's how do i make sure that the people i'm with are doing better um not just like the people that we serve but also the people that are doing the work with us elevator pitch for uh, leadership oh that's no i think that's spot on i think um yeah it makes a lot of sense what i pulled from that is you know um being able to get the most out of um, folks that you're collaborating with, um, you know, by, by making sure they're good, they're well. And, that, you know, we know that's super important, uh, especially in education. What is one thing or one accomplishment that you are most proud of that you were able to able to achieve um, during your time with community schools? This is a tough one. Because I think like there's so many like small achievements, right? Whether it's like, hey, getting this meeting organized or getting this document developed or building the structure, right? Like those are like the everyday wins that I think oftentimes go unsung. But for me, one of the big things is uh, getting a community schools policy approved. Um, that's a big thing. I mean, I know like if you don't know a lot about educational advocacy or like uh, 
just education as a whole, like being able to have a policy written to uphold what needs to take place in order for success to, by, by textbook definition, right, what success uh, to take place is huge. Um, so we had the opportunity to, there was a lot of change at one point, right, um, not just in our work, but in the work of uh, the school system. And we realized that in order for the, some of this work to really be consistent, to be um, held to a high standard, we really needed to have a policy put in place. And we worked with our school board members and we were able to create, they, they were able to create a resolution for a community school, for they created a resolution for a committee to come together to develop a community school's policy. So in that space, basically they said, get people together and tell us what this can look like. For us, what that meant is, all right, let's get it together. Let's talk to people, see what they want, see what they need, and start building a policy from there. And that's what we were able to do. We were able to create cohorts of staff members, partners, um, students, families, and um, staff, and bring them all together and tell them when we talk and ask them, when we talk about community schools, what are the things that we need to focus on? And we listen to them and we use that to set the path for the writing of the policy. Once that was kind of approved and, and set forth and, and our journey took off, right, we then used all of those pieces to develop a policy um, within MPS. And instead of just saying, like, boom, this is the policy, let's send it out, we came back and talked to those stakeholders and asked them, like, is this what you wanted to see? Um, was, was, like, not only did we hear your voice, but did we honor your voice? Um, we came back to them to say, how do we make this better, right? And yeah, there were some some high praises. There were some questions that were asked and there were some needs to polish a lot of these pieces, right? But as we did, we were able to develop a policy that really upheld the beliefs, the practices, and the um, work that is currently taking place and can continue to take place as we move forward. And I'm proud to say that we're one of the first, not, not first, but one of the few initiatives in the country that has passed a community schools policy um, that basically a school board and a, and a school district is saying that like we believe in this strategy so much that we're willing to uphold the practices and ensure that they're taking place for us to continue to move this forward. So that that's like my proud moment. Uh, but now my everyday work is to ensure that we're holding true to that word, right? To uh, make sure that as we're having these conversations and we're building this work, we don't just say like, oh, we passed the policy, but we say, are we upholding the policy? Are we speaking truth to the policy? Are we honoring the work and the words of the individuals that helped us get here? Um, and if not, how do we pivot, adjust? And, and a lot of times, like as much as we step up, right, how do we step back, ensure that the work that we're doing is the right work and the necessary work for us to continue this process towards school improvement? Um, so, it's, I mean, you know, it sounds like, uh, I guess, the input of the community that you serve uh, is really important. Uh, to you, uh, important to the model. Um, I guess, you know, can you just share a little bit more about, like, why, why, why is that important? Like, what value does that bring? Absolutely. So personally, like, I was raised in a household where my mom and dad really taught us community and the importance of it. Um, I come from a big family. Um, I come from a bigger community. I'm one of those people that said, like, that's my cousin. And there's, like, no blood relationship. They're, like, my uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters, friends, dogs, neighbor, right? But like they're my cousin because we grew up together, we shaped together. And really when I talk about community, that's what I, I talk about. Like I talk about the people who live next to me on my block, but also like the people who have similar shared experiences as me, right? So maybe I didn't have the same upbringing as the kids that I taught when I was a teacher, but they lived on my block. 
Um, when we talk about community, it's not just the people that, um, I don't know how to explain it, right? Like community is, is a large term and it's like all of the individuals that we come in contact with, that we develop with, that we grow with, that share in our similar struggles as well as our similar successes is the way that I guess I'll put it there. But growing up, like that was huge to me. Like my dad uh, was, my mom and dad are my, my role models and they really taught us that like our success is dependent on the success of those that are with us. So in order for us to really get to the promised land, if we want to call it that way, we need to make sure that everybody is moving together and growing together. Because as much as I need somebody today, they might need me tomorrow. And that relationship that we build is going to be key in all of us being successful. So when we talk about shaping community, to me, it then turns into how do I make sure that the, the path that was created for me continues for the next generation? So, yep, my parents were able to get me through college, but what does it look like for me to help build the process or build a system for the next generation to get to their master's, right? What does it look like for that generation to build something where everybody's able to get their doctorate? Or even moving away from, like, the, the um, system of education, right? Like, I was able to get doors open for me to get into spaces that I would have never imagined. How do I continue to open those doors? How do I continue to create opportunities for the next generation to not be the first first generation college student, right? But that becomes their normal. They're not the first CEO or the first president of a, a space or the first manager in a space, right? That that becomes a normal, that that becomes an expectation, that that becomes an opportunity that they don't have to dream about, right? Um, or, or just hold that in a dream, but that that dream can easily become a reality. So as you start talking about community, it, it's that. It's how do individuals like me not just in appearance, but in upbringing, but in reality, but in identity, are able to access the same resources, if not more than what I was able to access. So your audience is someone who is not familiar with uh, community schools at all. Um, can you share your elevator pitch uh, describing community schools to them and what value does it bring? Absolutely. So elevator pitch is staff, students, families, communities, cities, neighborhoods, um, random people on the block as, as well as uh, role models that we have. It's everybody coming together to ensure that every child is successful. And that's part of our vision, but really like I feel like our vision is the best way to understand it. All of us coming together to ensure that every child is successful. And by that, like, how are we making sure that our schools are the best places for our kids, that our blocks are the best places for our kids, that when we're at the park, we're not creating toxic spaces where our kids need to fear or be concerned. It's us being able to have those meaningful conversations to shape um, the work that we're doing to make sure every child is, is able to thrive and, and live a fulfilling life. And why is that important? Because we're building tomorrow's leaders. Like if we have leaders that are not receiving the resources that they need, then you develop a generation of individuals that are um, ultimately behind or, or are struggling to, to get by. Um, I truly believe that one, we, we, uh, stand on the shoulders of the past generations. And if your shoulders ain't strong to hold up the weight, right, uh, then, then you, people start tumbling over and falling over. Um, we have everything we need to build strong communities and to build uh, powerful communities. We just need to really focus ourselves and work collectively to ensure that we are doing that. What do we have the power to change about the K-12 education landscape? A lot. Everything. And anything, right? Um, I think that's one of the things that we oftentimes don't realize that, like, we are the the education the educational system was is supposed to serve us, right? So 
like any other place where you go in, right? If the services are not to your your liking, you have the opportunity to voice those concerns and you have an opportunity to to lead to change, right? Um, like any other system that is that is supposed to serve you, like you have the the power to create some of that change. Um, but that comes with information, right? That comes with informing yourself. That comes with learning. That comes with you um, asking the questions that you don't know the answers to. It's becoming vulnerable. Um, it's us coming together and, yeah, although inconvenient sometimes, right, forming coalitions and forming teams and, and working together to identify, like, best needs or, or best possibilities for us to create change. Um, it's us being willing to be part of the change. Um, it's... I don't know how, what other way to put it, right? It's we have the power to change so much. We have the power to be the difference. We just have to be willing to put ourselves in those spaces or call others into that space, create those spaces for them in many ways so that we can truly create change. Uh, I guess in the spirit of uh, shared leadership, uh, I always say, right, like, uh, although our roles are very complex, I think we have the uh, the the opportunity to um, have our hand in so much and have, you know, uh, input and be a convener uh, and a facilitator of things. Um, I always say that, you know, our work is, uh, you know, we can't accomplish much of anything without the support and the help of others. Uh, And so for anyone who is listening uh, or anyone who will, I guess, stumble across this uh, in the future, uh, is there a call of a a call to action or an ask that you have uh, of anyone who may come across this? Like, how can they help uh, community schools? How can they help their own, I guess, school community? What can someone do to, uh, I guess, be a part of the solution? Absolutely. Get involved, Um, whether it's through mentorship, whether it's through informing yourself, whether it's through volunteering, whether it's connecting uh, individuals to resources as much as it is becoming a resource to that. Um, in order for you to really create change, you need to get your hands dirty. And sometimes, like, dirty means coming into a classroom and volunteering time to do an art project, right? Like, it's getting glitter on your hands. Um, other times, it's getting some ink on your hands by reading through some um, literature, right? Or reading through some policies. Um, other times, it's getting your boots dirty, right? Marching through a... Uh, um, central offices, right, or getting involved in in processes to create change. It's making phone calls. Um, My call to action really is to do something, right? (laughs) And I know it's not a clear call to action, but it's putting yourself in a space where you're putting um, power to potential. Um, It's not just talking about these things. It's being willing to do something about it. And currently, Milwaukee has a lot of individuals, but we could always use more. and even, hey, you, you might be saying, like, but my kids go to private school, right? Like, Pancho, you went to a private institution. Like, why do you care about public institutions, right? It's because I care about the individuals in those spaces. It's because I care about the next generation. It's because I care about um, what is and what can be as well as what was, right? Um, all of those things coming together. So my call to action is if you're not happy with the way that current systems are, um, even if you are happy, right? Let's find out how to make them better. Let's work collectively. Let's get involved to make sure that um, better is not yesterday's better is not what we should be okay with. Tomorrow should always be better than today. Um, Feel free to quote me on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. 
Uh, I get, I mean, that's, you know, that's all of the, the, the questions that I had prepared. Um, if there was anything that you had, um, I guess, well, I take that back. Uh, I take that back. Uh, I, I do want to ask about, um, you know, I guess an initiative that you uh, just recently led, uh, the community schools conference, our, our um how would you describe that? Our local conference? Would you call it a PD conference? I don't even know. Yeah, so I guess our conference is uh, we have a yearly opportunity for staff from our community schools to come together and really learn more, not just about the model, but really um, get access to the resources, the knowledge, the strategies necessary for them to really live out the model, right? Um, so like kind of what we talked about, right? Three key aspects of our model are equity, shared leadership, and cultural relevance. As they stand alone, like those things can mean anything, right? Well, my definition of equity is totally different from your definition to equity. It's going to be totally different from um, the random individual walking down the block, right? So what we do is we try to establish a common understanding and not just like, okay, you understand the word, so now you can live this model. It's more like, this is what we mean when we talk about producing equitable systems, right? And these are the, st- the tools and the strategies that you need to, to continue to live out equity in your work. Um, when we talk about cultural relevance, right, it's, hey, I totally respect that you put up a poster of Dr. MLK in your, your classroom, right? But now what else can you do to enhance that and grow that? Um, when we talk about shared leadership, it's like, cool, like you have a PTO, but now how do you create power to that PTO? Um, parent-teacher organization for those who are not up with the um, educational lingo. But what we do here is we always have a dynamic keynote. We've had like the blessing of uh, Dr. Bettina Love in the past. We've had Dr. Goldie Muhammad. Um, this year we had Shantae McKinley. Um, so we start with a keynote that really lives out the work that we're hoping to accomplish. Like how are we really building schools that are equitable, schools that are transforming the lives of individuals who get to partake in the educational system, but also interact with the educational system, right? How are we building true communities that that grow um, where our our future can be? And then we have um, a a bunch of super dope partners that have been working with us for years and years and new partners that are coming in and they lead workshops. And there they show hands-on examples and, and help individuals not just learn, but also process, right? Best practices. We really focus on developing whole educators, and in that, we don't just say, like, here's the answer, implement this, but we say, hey, not only is this a strategy that might help you, but here's a network of individuals that are doing the work, and the work that you're doing in 53206 might be very similar to the work that someone's doing in 53204, but here's an educator in 53212 that has the tools that you might need to, to do this better. And our goal when we do these PD sessions is, one, yes, to build up our educators and build up our teams and provide the resources and the strategies to make better educators. But ultimately, it's to create a system and a web of schools that are working collectively and collaboratively to produce best outcomes for our students. So, yeah, we were fortunate to have our our December conference uh, earlier this, uh, well, technically end of last year, right? And we're looking forward to our high school conference. And this is a yearly occurrence where... At least once a year, we're bringing educators together to learn and grow together to produce schools where, again, every child can succeed. Yeah, I was going to say, what this is this past, well, December was our sixth annual. Yeah, it's our sixth annual. Yeah, so uh, I guess when, you know, when I think about the value uh, of being a community school, right, like I think that's always 
somewhere in somebody's mind, whether you are uh, a parent contemplating what school they should send their child to, uh, an educator who, you know, has an opportunity to work in a community school or work in a, like a, you know, a traditional school or a non-community school, right? Like that's kind of a, a question that you're always thinking about. And uh, uh, the PD conference uh, is is definitely one of those opportunities. I think, you know, you kind of hinted at it earlier in our conversation, um, you know, how professional development for educators, as, as, you know, at some point, right, like it becomes a bit of a drag. Uh, sometimes we're just going through the motions. It, it's not always given what needs to be gave. And, you know, I do, um, you know, I think that's one of the things that I'm super, super happy to be a part of this team about is being able to put this conference together uh, and offer options. Right. Like, I think that's the first thing is, you know, when it comes to the breakout sessions or the the workout or workshops. Right. We're not mandating you go to this and then you go to that later. Right. Like there's a there's a plethora. I don't know the exact number, but like, yeah. you know, how many how many I guess sessions were we able to offer? Yeah. This last round of December, we did have um, a couple of situations where it happened with certain keynote. I mean, certain certain uh, workshop breakouts presenters that they couldn't make it. But we still were able to provide 15 sessions. Mm-hmm. I mean, those sessions were everything from how to engage students to creating spaces where students feel represented to taking care of your own personal, social, emotional health, to um, what mentoring means and what it looks like, to, hey, this is how your curriculum can be made more culturally aware, right? Um, So we don't try to, to your point, we don't try to say, like, here's the big problem, right? Like, this is the bullseye that we need to address. So this is how you need to shoot your arrow. It's more like, here's a a menu of resources that we're providing you. Pick the piece that you need that's going to make you better, and then hopefully that helps you on your on your education on your educational journey. And uh, I think one of the, the cheat codes behind that too is like when you know we start brainstorming about what can be offered is not simply just like a call for proposals, right? Yeah. But it's more of a a conversation of like what are the gaps? What are you know what are our what are our teachers talking about? Uh, what are our young people? To, talking about uh, what are the things that they need? What are the things that our parents need? Uh, because our coordinators are housed in the building and are, are able to have these conversations and uh, have a relationship to be able to say like, this is, you know, this is what our schools are talking about uh, and, and being able to prepare, um, you know, really like the perfect remedy. Right. Um, and so I do think that that's uh, another you know, cheat code or advantage, um, you know, to to uh, the conference or offering that conference. Definitely. And then, yeah, to, to speak on that point, like none of the sessions that we picked were pieces that we said, like, we need to have this because I like this. Right. Mm-hmm. All of it was work that was brought to us by our coordinators, by our principals, by our support teachers at our schools as they were having conversations with their staff. I mean, a good example of that one. Right was this year we were able to present a session on LGBTQ, um, what that means, right? Um, How do we support students who might identify um, as other gender or as, as, right? Like pieces and and topics that to some of us might be taboo or that we don't understand that we didn't have the exposure to. Some of our schools or some of the staff at one of our schools specifically was saying like, we need help. Like we don't know how to move forward with this. So we're able to find a resource and they were, they were able to receive information that they might have not had access to had it not been for this conference. Um, they were able to receive resources and connections and, and um, other people to collaborate with to like identify where their gaps are and how they can move beyond those gaps. 
So yeah, to your point, it's we're simply the convener of what our, our people are telling us that they need. We just try to connect them to those resources and build those supports for them. Um, there it is, Pancho. I don't know if you had any uh, closing remarks, uh, but I definitely appreciate um, the commitment uh, and the efforts that you bring uh, to the Milwaukee Community Schools Partnership every day. Uh, again, I always say, you know, uh, it, take, it takes a village, uh, and I think we are uh, really lucky enough to be able to, you know, work that quote um, in our, you know, in our day-to-day. Um, For sure. If I could close out, just eat your veggies and be part of the change. That's all I could, that's all I could encourage you to do. Uh, drink water, too. Um, no, but ultimately, like, be, be the change that you want to see. Things won't change if you don't do anything about it. Um, don't wake up every day hoping for a difference. Be part of that difference.